0: Alright guys, it's good to be back with you guys again. Uh, What we're going to be doing for tonight is we're going to kind of build a little bit on what uh, Brother Bob talked about Sunday, right at the end of the sermon. So tonight we're going to be asking the question, what does God say in the Bible about sharing our faith? I think that's something that we need to be reminded of pretty regularly. If you will, we're going to go ahead and flip on over to the first passage that we're going to look at today. If you will stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. If you have your Bible, I'll give you just a minute to get there. Matthew 28. Alright, and starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. All right, guys, so we're going to specifically, especially in these first few passages, be discussing how seriously... Scripture takes the idea that we are to reach the lost. And kind of the angle that Brother Bob came at it from was sort of on a personal, individual level. We talked about friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, if you remember that. I'm going to kind of spend most of my time today talking about it on the big picture level. We're going to be talking about the church, the church here, the church in the world, reaching the world with the gospel. So we've read Matthew 28. Jesus is about to send his disciples out into the world with their mission. And he starts by telling them that all authority has been given to him. That's where we ground all of our mission work. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And one of the great truths of the Bible, especially the New Testament, is that the blessings that come in Christ, in salvation, is not just for Israel. It's not just for any particular people group. The gospel is for everyone, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is one name that has been given to us by which we must be saved. His authority over all means that we should share with all. There's not one blade of grass, there's not one piece of dirt, there's not one grain of sand that isn't His. And this has always been the goal. You can look back in the Old Testament. All nations were always going to be blessed. It was ultimately going to go to the entire world. You can see prophecy after prophecy where all the nations are given to the coming king. That that king is Christ. All the nations are going to be blessed because of him. We're told in the New Testament that he is the only mediator, that he has power over all, that he is the head of the church, that all things are under his feet, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the lord of all. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to Christ. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And the interesting thing about this passage is he tells us exactly what that means. You do not have to make up your own definition of what making disciples is. He tells us to do two things in this passage. First of all, he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol of their accepting God, accepting His authority, recognizing Him as their teacher, their Lord. They're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be His people. They have converted away from darkness. They've come into His kingdom. It's conversion. It's coming to faith in Christ. And from there, He tells us also that we are to teach them to observe all that He has commanded us. We're not just to see people saved. We're not just to preach the gospel. We are to take those people and we are to sanctify them. We are to put them in a position to grow in their faith in Christ. Salvation is not just a one-time thing. It's over. Hey, I'll, I'll see you on the other side. know, This is something that you come into and we live together in the meantime. We're told that everything that Jesus has taught, we should teach. The Apostle Paul said that he proclaimed the whole counsel of God. We're told that we should be striving to see people as mature, godly believers, people that are growing in grace and knowledge. We have an obligation as individuals, but also as a church, as a local church, as a universal body of Christ. We have an obligation to see the gospel go to the world, to see lives change. We should leave no stone unturned. We must tell people about Christ what he has done, what he has taught, who he is. We're going to talk about that more tonight, guys, but I want to just establish what we're trying to do right here. The the commandment that Christ has given his church to take his message to everyone, to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. With that said, we're going to go ahead and look at our second passage real quick. If you'll flip flip over to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 13. Romans ten thirteen says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We're told in verse 13 that all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on and he asks an interesting question after that. He says, How will they call on him? And he tells us, and he reasons backwards from that calling to show us how we get to that point. He says that they must believe, that to believe they must hear. To hear they have to have a preacher, and to have a preacher, a preacher has to be sent to them. Someone must tell them. In verse 17 it says, faith comes by hearing. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. People are called by hearing, by preaching the gospel to them. It's not just something that is zapped into their minds. God has given us a crucial role to play. What an honor that we have to be fellow workers along with Him, spreading His gospel to the world. The Bible says that the fields are ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. Are we sending the preachers that these people need? Are we sending and supporting our missionaries the way that we should be? The people that are taking that message to places that it's never been before? Are we training up godly young people to take that message of salvation both into the world and into our community? Those are things that as a church we have to ask ourselves. He tells us in verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And they will not hear if nobody is sent to them. Somebody must be sent. God's will is that all come to repentance. And if we pray for him to send laborers, he will send them. If we will preach his word, he will take out their hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh in their place. Many people are not going to believe. That's true. I I full well concede that. Not everybody that hears our message is going to believe. Paul tells us that right here. But in verse 15 it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Those feet are beautiful because of the message that they bring. Paul tells us in another chapter that being justified by faith, we can have peace with God. That's the message that we're taking to the world. But the word has to be sent. And if you will, go ahead and we'll flip over to our next verse. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this is a pretty famous passage. A lot of you have probably heard it before. It's got some crucial biblical truths that we must understand. And I want you to know that this passage applies to you. This is not just something we're shouting out into the void. It's not just for people that that preach up on a stage. It is for you. You are to be ready. That's what Peter says. And sometimes you don't have to go out looking for opportunities. You can see in this passage right here, sometimes those opportunities find you. Sometimes people come and just ask you. The question is, are you going to be ready when they come and ask you that question? We are called here to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Do you want to share the gospel of Christ? You must sanctify the Lord God in your heart first. You have to understand and accept His holiness in your heart, not just with your mouth, not just in a going-through-the-motions, ritualistic sort of way. In your heart, you must accept and trust and follow Him. If God is not in your heart, you cannot even get started. And we're told here that we have to be able to defend the hope that is within us. What does it mean to be able, to be able to defend the hope that's within us? I'm going to tell some things. Don't run off, okay? I'm going to tell you some things here that that might make make you stop and consider. That means that you have to not only know what you believe, which is already, I understand, not the easiest thing in the world. You need to know what you believe. You need to understand it. You need to know why you believe it. Everybody here should be able to give me reasons why you believe. You should be able to answer a question. If somebody walks up and says, why are you a follower of Christ? You shouldn't just give them nothing. You should be able to say something at that point. And you need to be able to communicate that to them, which means that you probably need to have thought about it beforehand. You should be thinking about it now. Do I know what I believe? Do I know why I believe it? And do I know how to get that message to somebody else? So you should also be able to explain why you have hope. He asks you to explain the hope that is in you. Why do you have hope? Why do you have joy no matter what the circumstances are? Can you explain that? Can you explain how Christ has that to give to them? And then he goes on to tell us that we're to do this in meekness and fear. All right, so think gentleness, reverence, that sort of thing. In another passage, we're told that we are to speak the truth in love. And never forget that. That should always be something that you're aiming for in your discussions, really with anybody, but especially with non believers. We are to speak the truth in love. You don't get to pick one of those, you don't get to have love with no truth. That's just mindlessly accepting and affirming everything. But you don't get to have truth with no love either. That's just lifeless, dead orthodoxy. You have to have both. We must speak the truth and we must do so in love. I want you to know that we have the truth. That's important. And that truth is worthy of understanding. It's worthy of sharing. And it's worthy of defending. We have that truth, and we should be able to defend it to the world. All right, so we're going to go ahead and look at the next passage. If you've got your Bibles, this may be the hardest one to find here. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament for just a minute. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All right, Ezekiel 3.16. says, "...now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood... I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, also you will have delivered your soul. So this passage, I think, has a special great truth and great application for pastors, teachers, people that are preaching the word of God, but it also applies to the church as a whole and to us as individuals. right? So looking at this, Ezekiel was made a watchman. What does that mean? Ezekiel is a watchman. That's somebody that is looking out for incoming danger. That's what Ezekiel is doing. That's his job. He is to take God's warnings and deliver them to his people, to tell them when that danger is on its way. We find ourselves in a similar situation today. We know that those dying without Christ are going to face the wrath of God. We know that danger and trouble is coming and that people need to be warned about that. People need to be told. They need to know that uh, all people are commanded to repent. They need to be told that if he refuses to warn the wicked, they will die, but blood will be required at Ezekiel's hand. Uh, That's the most important part of this entire passage. It should be a warning to anybody that's called to preach God's Word. You are responsible for the warning. I'm responsible for telling you what God's Word says. I don't have the option to leave out the parts that I don't like. We need to understand that while I'm responsible for that, you are responsible for how you respond. I'm not going to be accountable for how you respond to what's preached to you today, but I am going to be accountable for what's preached. This applies not just to the wicked. We see in the later verses here that this applies also to the righteous. If one of us were to stray off the path, we would need to be warned. The scriptures would need to be brought up to bring us back to life. It's not just for non-believers. This is part of the means that God uses to bring people out of sin into repentance. Warnings about what sin brings, the consequences that comes with it. Now, I'm willing to admit that that's easier said than done. Uh, Sometimes that means that we have to, to call sin, sin. That we've got to hold people accountable that that's probably going to make people angry. I understand that. I don't like that people are going to be angry, but there's nothing that I can do about that. Like I said, I'm not responsible for the response that you have to God's word. I'm responsible for delivering to you God's word. We follow God rather than men. Ultimately, he's the one that at the end of the day we have to serve. Jesus said things in his ministry like, except you repent, You shall all likewise perish. And we need to have the courage to say the exact same thing. So if you will, we're going to look at the next passage. If you'll go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter one, and verse eight. We've got Acts 1 eight. This is Jesus speaking. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we've covered, I think, pretty well our responsibility to spread the gospel. I want to address a few other topics while we're still here. And in this passage, we're going to be looking at the empowering of the Holy Spirit for his witnesses. So again, Jesus is about to send his disciples into the world. He's about to go back to the Father. When they ask him if he is about to restore the kingdom to Israel, Uh, maybe they don't fully understand the exact nature of what Christ has done. But what he tells them is that the Holy Spirit is about to come upon them. So as you go out throughout the rest of the book of of Acts, what enabled, what empowered them to preach the gospel the way they did? What gave them the courage or the wisdom It wasn't something that they drew from themselves. And this is true in so many different areas. The Spirit of God was the one that was going to be responsible. What turned Peter from a Christ-denying coward that was running away to a preacher that saw 3,000 souls converted at Pentecost? It wasn't his own wisdom. It wasn't his own gifts or his own strength. So they're to start here at Jerusalem, the place that Jesus was crucified, and they're to just... Spread out from there. They're to go through Judea. They're to go to Samaria, which is uh, already a big deal that's already outside of their country. And they're to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, everywhere. Like we talked about earlier, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. While they did this, they faced backlash. They faced persecution. Some of them died. You can read about that in the book of Acts. But that persecution did nothing but spread them wider, wider, wider we are called to preach Jesus to every nation. So where do you think we should look for the power to do so? Who is it that's going to open doors that's going to enable us to bear fruit and bring glory to Christ? It is the Spirit of God working within us and around us. It has nothing to do with our own abilities. Maybe you won't be beaten or stoned or imprisoned the way that Paul was. That might be true. But maybe you're terrified of sharing the gospel with your associate or your neighbor or whoever it is. I understand that feeling. Maybe you think that that's just too big of a problem. I just can't overcome that. I can't do it. But I want to ask you a question. Can the strength of God overcome our weaknesses? Of course He can. So where should we look for the strength to do those things? We should look to Him. You just be faithful. You just seek his kingdom first. You let him take care of the rest and he will. We're going to look at another passage here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 to 22. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking again. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as one under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So Paul here, he tells us he's, he's a free man. He, he's not a slave of anybody. He's not under the law. Yet he has made himself a servant of all. He gives us a little bit more information here about how we're to go about trying to win those that don't know God. He tells us that service is the answer. Just as Jesus came to serve, Paul had also come to serve. So what does it mean when he says that I became as to Jews as a Jew, I became to those without laws, without law? He goes on to weak as weak. Uh, He accommodated himself as much as he could to the group that he's trying to reach, and we'll talk about what that means. He didn't go out sort of needlessly attempting to offend everybody, just trying to run them off just for the sake of offending them and running them off. That's not the approach that he takes. Paul was respectful. He was humble, and he used those things to try to reach others. So, for example, to Jews under the law, maybe he ate kosher foods when he was around them. Maybe he took extra steps to make sure that he didn't break the Mosaic Law, or maybe he made sure that he didn't disrespect their customs in front of them. And Now, it's not that he had to do those things. It's that he felt his ministry was going to be better as a result of that. The point is not to compromise the truth. Paul is still telling people the truth. The point's not to start doing things that are sinful and immoral because that's what everybody else is doing. That, that's not what Paul's saying. The point is that instead we are to be other serving, we are to be self sacrificial. He was willing to give up the privileges that he had if that meant that he could reach more people as a result. He met them where they were and he discussed things with them honestly and respectfully. I used to. Uh, a couple years ago, I taught this passage that we're talking about right now in a, a class and I had a little bit of an analogy. It's maybe a little rough, maybe not perfect, but I thought it got the point across pretty well. I said, if I was preaching the gospel to a vegan, I would try very hard to make sure that I did so without a piece of bacon in my mouth. You can see how that would cause problems. The point is not that bacon is bad. That's not the problem. The point is that I don't want my ministry to that person to be shut down over something that really doesn't matter in the end. Paul knew what the essentials were. He may have looked and acted a little bit different from group to group, but he always followed God. He was always faithful, and he used any means he had at his disposal to reach others. If somebody is offended by truth, by the gospel, I can live with that. There's no way that I can stop preaching the gospel. I can't stop telling people the truth. But I don't want people to be offended, to stop listening, to leave, because I'm being rude or arrogant or disrespectful. That's not okay. That's a different situation altogether. And We're going to look at one more passage real quick. If you'll flip over to the gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to look at John chapter 1 verse 12. And this is talking about Jesus John 112 where it says but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name so this is the response that we're looking for as we spread the gospel whether that's as individuals as a church this is what we're aiming for we're told that those that receive him or believe on his name and those are synonyms they mean the same thing that's what we're wanting we're wanting the people that we're preaching to to receive Christ we're told here that we're not just children of God by default it's not like you're automatically one of the children of God but those that accept him that submit to him that give our lives to him as the son of God that's died for us those are part of the family of God we're told to believe in his name Everything He is, everything that we're told about Him, that He's the Son of God, the Lord, the Savior, we are to believe and trust in Him. And that if we do that, we become the children of God. We become heirs of an inheritance that will never pass away. That could not be any more valuable. I know we've talked about that before. We're going to talk about it more in the future. Don't worry. That we can be the recipients of all the grace and blessing that comes with that in spite of the fact that we have done nothing to deserve it. We can receive the Holy Spirit that we talked about earlier to lead us and guide us and empower us. Our sins can be forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. God can forgive you. He can forgive those people in your life, the friends, the relatives, the associates, the neighbors that you were thinking about Sunday. 1 John 3 1 says, See what love the Father has given to us that we may be called the children of God. Amen. See what love the Father has given to us. You will never come into condemnation. You will receive eternal life that only God can give. Jesus is offering you that eternal life. And if you do take that, if you receive him, if you believe on him, you will have the privilege of taking that same gospel that has saved you and changed you and your family and taking that to the rest of the world. We all have people that we need to reach out to. We all have the friends, the relatives, the associates, the neighbors. We know that as a church we need to be trying to reach the world. We can be empowered by the Spirit to take his word to those places on the earth. This is not a hypothetical. This is something we are actually called to do, and we can do it with God's help. We have been blessed immensely. But do not forget to take those blessings and deliver them to other people as well. If you don't know the Lord, today is the day. We will be here. Uh, I know that I will be here, if nothing else. If anybody, if you want to talk, if you want to pray, if you have questions, just know that we are here for you. And we will be here for you. Guys, that's all I've got for you today. If you don't know the Lord, I would invite you to come to him. I would invite you to talk to somebody. All right, guys. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to go ahead and pray out.